On 89.9 The Light, you're in conversation with Clayton and it is wonderful to be having a chat uh, through the wonders of Zoom to Patricia Wirakun. She joins me now. How are you, Patricia? I'm very well, thank you. It's wonderful to have you on. Uh, You've got this latest book out, Talking Sex by the Book. Uh, And as we go through all of the various books you've uh, put out, it does have something to do with sex as a rule. And that's because you are a sexologist. Uh, What is a sexologist? I know that's always a question people want to know. Well, basically, a sexologist is somebody who studies sex, reads about sex, writes about sex, researches sex, does some sex therapy. My son says that's why he's an only child, because he <laughs> didn't have any much time for practical aspects. Well, I tell you what, uh, I appreciate the humour that does come around with it as well. Um, uh, Patricia, the other part of who you are is um, that you have a, a strong faith belief in Jesus. You call yourself a Christian as well. Um, I mean, I think there's probably a number of people go, hold on a second, a Christian who's spending all their time looking and researching and talking about sex. This doesn't. This doesn't necessarily, you know, fit into the way that I thought this would happen. How do How do those two things mix for you? I was born in Sri Lanka, so I was born into a Christian family. But I actually came to know the Lord when I was in a, a school, a Methodist missionary school, but. I came to kind of really be interested in sex when I was doing my postgraduate study. I'm a doctor by first degree from Sri Lanka. And in my postgraduate study, I was studying sex and sexual health in Hawaii, nice place to study sex. And I was going to a wonderful evangelical Baptist church. And I came to realize that I was with a lot of secular, non-Christian people and we were all researching sex. But I came to realize that as a Christian, I actually have a a relationship with the creator of sex. And that is amazing. That is a truly amazing thing. And that's what I guess really brought my interest, what I call my twin passions of God and sex together. Yeah. Um, What is that? Um, difference. What, what difference does that make when you go, okay, I have a relationship with the creator of sex and who we are uh, versus somebody who perhaps doesn't have that? What, what have you discovered means that you look at it differently or you, 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 you talk about it differently, whatever it might be? How long have we got? So I'll just <laughs> give you the, what I call the quickie version of it. Yes. As a, as a people, especially in a culture today, we are taught, especially our children, and I have a real passion to speak to children. And so, I mean, I say in my old gray, old age, let me pass on what I have to the younger generation. And I have a passion for that. So in our culture, especially our children are being told, you know, you got to just find out who you are by looking in and then live out your desires. And they're seeing all this anxiety and depression and even, you know, self-harm and suicidality in our children. So when we read the word of God, we see that every aspect of our being human has such a value. For instance, we speak about the body. There's a dignity and value given to our body. And 
you know, in the search for who we are, we don't have to look at the world because we have an identity given by God. And then when it comes to sex, which is my favorite bit, you know, people think to think that the Bible just says, don't do it. You know, like God is this cosmic killjoy. But in actual fact, the whole Bible, and this is what is most exciting to a Christian sexologist. And that is that the whole Bible really sings to the beauty of sex. You know, just I, I can take you to the Garden of Eden. You know, there's Adam, you know, think, I, I tell young people, think of the most gorgeous guy you ever can think of. That was Adam, you know, the absolute perfect six pack and the whole works. And then God puts him to sleep, does a bit of a rib job and brings Eve, you know, perfect, no boob job, no Botox, that perfect. And what happens? He opens his eyes and we have the first ever blind date. Right? <laughs> I mean, love at first sight. There you are, romance in the Garden of Eden. And the next phrase is they were naked. They felt no shame and they were one flesh. And then I looked at the science that goes with falling in love and romance. And we look at romance and when people fall in love, that, that bonding has hormones involved. And when people are sexually intimate, there is a, actually a brain bonding. And so the science and God's word is so congruent. Then, of course, I can go on through the Bible, Song of Songs, Revelation, Jesus coming for his bride. What a honeymoon that's going to be. Yeah. The the incredible way as you talk about it, Patricia, and, and others may be thinking, well, hold on a second. I thought sex was uh, just the, this physical part of who I was and, and maybe an emotional part. You know, we, we sort of get that. But it seems to me you're saying there's a spiritual aspect to, to sex. And I suppose my question is, is that true? And also, is there a, a mental aspect to sex? We obviously understand that as uh, there's obviously different aspects of who we are go into that. Is it important for everybody to understand this spiritual and mental side of things, even if they don't have a faith? I, I really want to stress that because the point is we often think sex equals intercourse. Completely wrong. Intimacy is so important. You see, when God created us, now if you're a Christian, we would say God, God said, let us make man in our image, our image. Now, we look around us. The worst punishment for somebody is solitary confinement. Why? Because we need people. We need relationship. We need to be known by someone and to know someone, which is the definition of intimacy. So we talk about all the levels of intimacy, whatever age you are. You know, when we talk to little ones and today little kids, you know, we're talking kids of like nine, ten. They find it hard to differentiate between friendship intimacy and sexual intimacy. We all need Intimacy. So when we are talking about sexual intimacy, even when we're talking about sexual intimacy, there's a whole lot of it. You To be truly sexually intimate, you need to connect at that deep emotional and spiritual level. 
See, I just want to take you to an old movie. Now you are far too young to know it, but you know, in this old movie, I think it was called Vanilla Sky, where the guy had been sleeping around. And then this girl whom he had just sort of shed, she comes to him and she says, don't you know that when you have sex with someone, your body makes promises even when you don't. So there is something deep, you know, an emotional bonding. But of course, we know that when you have sexual intimacy at a brain level, the chemical oxytocin, vasopressin causes bonding. And you know, it's, when I talk to young people, I say it's like being super glued to someone. So you're super glued and you break up. You actually grieve because of like a loss of a bit of yourself. So yes, sexual intimacy is a deep mind spiritual experience as well as, hey, an orgasm, if you're lucky, not always. <laughs> Patricia Wee-Raccoon is my guest. She's the author of this book, Talking Sex by the Book. We're going to talk about how do we uh, talk sex with our kids, what's the best way and the best path to do that, as well as advice uh, for us as well. Uh, what, what's, you know, if Patricia can sit us down and say, right, here's, here's the one thing I want you to know. Uh, what, what's she going to be saying to us about that? Uh, plus, uh, that we're going to continue exploring these deep purposes of sex on the way next here on 89.9 The Light. In conversation with Clayton. On 89.9 The Light, you're in conversation with Clayton and the author of the book, Talking Sex by the Book, about uh, every parent needing to chat through their uh, sex with their kids and how they do that is sexologist, we've heard, has a Christian faith as well. Joining us now, Patricia uh, Wee Raccoon, and it's wonderful to be with you, Patricia, also. Uh, we were talking a bit more about the, the deep intimacy, that sex is more than just the physical act. There's a, an intimacy to it. I was wondering if we could even ask a question above that. As a sexologist who has studied so long, um, is there a, a really clear definition of the purpose of sex? I, I think if you ask different people, some might say, well, it's just that physical interaction. Others might say, well, yes, it's an intimacy understanding. Others might say it's for reproduction. And that's the point. How do you define the actual purpose of sex? Well, as a sexologist and a Christian and a doctor and an anatomist, I find it fascinating. And of course, I speak from a biblical point of view that when God created man and woman, and you know, it is amazing. The rest of our body is kind of similar, but there is a beautiful complementarity about the genitals. And I tell men when I'm talking, I do marriage talks and I say, gentlemen, you should be so proud of your genitals. And if I may say the word, proud of your penis, because the rest of your body, you know, the heart just beats and you don't notice it and your lungs work, but your penis is created to do just the right thing at the right time. I mean, God is a good God and the vagina is made just right to fit around the penis and to expand and let the baby out. So God, so we the meaning of sex then is goes back to our very bodily creation. So when we have sex, it is like a celebration of who we are coming together. Yes, to have babies, but also to have the best fun ever. 
Now speaking as a Christian, when God said to Adam and Eve, go, go on and make babies, he could have made it really boring, like fill a form in triplicate and send it to the baby department <laughs> and get a baby, you know, delivered in a kangaroo pouch or whatever. But God, no, no, no. He said, get out there, make babies, and it's going to be the best fun you ever have. Isn't that a good God? So our bodies, we are celebrating the fact that we are male and female when we have sex. And, of course, every sexual act, as in intercourse, has the potential of making babies. But our sexual act, as we talked, is far more than intercourse. You know, in a part of the body, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, it says, men, you know, yield your body, husband, to the wife. And wife, yield your body. There's two things there. The whole body is full of sensory nerve ending. It's kind of sends you chill down your spine when you think that your whole body is an erotic zone. So you have fun with your whole body, intimacy. We call it sensuality rather than sexuality. And there is a yielding, which then completely erases the fact that Christians say that, you know, you're, if you're a wife, you must have sex. No, no, you must have intimacy. But there is this beautiful yielding to the other. So there is a loving other focus giving. So it's your body, celebration of your body and making babies, having fun. And if you're a Christian, the Bible tells us that every time a husband and wife have sex, you're celebrating the love of Christ for the church, a tiny little model. So you see, that's what's so wonderful. Every time a husband and wife have sex, it's a little spark of eternity, of heaven. And of course, heaven's going to be so much better than sex. Patricia, um, as you describe that, and, you know, what I love is your passion, right? Uh, it, it clearly, I mean, I love the passion on every front that you you do it on purpose to, to have us go, oh, boy, she didn't know she was going to say that, as well as just the straight passion of saying, look, let's really talk about this and not, not try and, you know, sort of cover this up and, and talk around it, which I know so many of us often do. As you describe the awesomeness of what sex is, I, I think um, so much that, that that is something that is, desired and talked about um, in, you know, media, in, in relationships and everywhere. But I also think of the flip of that, the incredible distraction. And we've had that also on this program of those who have talked about the sexual abuse that they have had. And, and it seems like sexual abuse is uh, um, the worst of abuse that can occur too. Why is, is this thing that is so incredible also the thing that's so distractive. And, and is there any research or understanding of why people would, would go to this sort of abuse to, to, to hurt somebody? Or is it just a selfishness and it comes out in that way? Well, we can approach this from many, many different directions. As a Christian, the first response that anyone speaking from a biblical point of view would say, look, we are created for a perfect relationship. That's Genesis 1 and 2. You move into Genesis 3. We turn away from God and we say, look, you may have the best plan for our life, but thank you and no thank you. We can look after ourselves. And at that point, you know, in the, when God sort of said, that's it, you're out of here. He said, you know, you're going to desire a good relationship, but you're going to use each other. 
And that's, if you, as a Christian, we say we are living out that scenario. But looking at it as a scientist and a sexologist, there's various reasons here. Firstly, if we look at the whole the sort of scenario of sexual abuse and rape, often it's not about a sexual thing. It's not about sexual, it's more about power. It's more about dom dominions and dominating someone. So there is that, that aspect of it. Another really important aspect in our culture today, sadly, is the use of pornography. Because porn is the absolute opposite of what beautiful, good, pure, sexual, intimate relationship is. I mean, you might have had speakers talk to you about pornography and pornography basically, you know, uses people like commodities. And I speak to young people, I say it's like buying something at a $2 shop that you use and throw away. That's how sex is treated, cheap, a commodity. And it, it encourages violence against especially women. So I talk to young boys and some of them, you know, I've had young boys tell me, but if I don't watch porn, how do I know what a girl likes? And I say, Darlings, nobody, no girl wants to be your porn star. You know, it just doesn't work that way. So, you know, it, this is another huge thing that the, the, and of course, pornography wires the brain. So with the average age of first porn exposure being 10 or 11 years in Australia, we are wiring the brains and both girls and boys to accept the ugliness and part of that is playing out in this sexual abuse and rape culture of today. Yeah. We're going to spend part three of our conversation with Patricia, specifically talking through her book and also how we talk to our kids about sex, uh, you know, and that's going to involve all of that there. Before we just get there, um, as we said, one of your other books, the, the, the Best Sex for Life, Patricia, let's just talk before we talk about how we talk to our kids, let's talk to us. Uh, so here, here we are, and and I'm, you know, I'm in a relationship. I, I'm saying, well, this is this is something I'm desiring, the best sex for life. It, it, what am I chasing? What's the the best things we should be talking about with each other, exploring with each other? Uh, how how you know what are the things we should be working on? Part of it we've already talked about, but I'll just quickly go over. The first thing is, as a couple, you need to know where you stand regarding each other. And what I tell people is, you know, friendship and communication is far more important than the bodily connection. So please, before you have sex, because trust me, once you start having sex, you ain't going to be talking. So before you start that, just get to know each other, get to know your values, your attitudes, your family background, where you're getting your the desires that you have. You know, even talk about if you use porn and, you know, go get some help. And so talk about all this. So talk, communicate, establish a friendship intimacy before you get any further. Second, especially for those who are going into a relationship or married, many Christian young people who are going in not having had sex before, you know, just get to know your own body. In our book, The Best Sex for Life, we have a chapter there which talks about from, I think it's called From Diamond Ring to Wedding Band, which says, 
you know, there are pictures of the genitals and say, you know, like draw, uh, mark, label it and then go to the back and see whether you've got it right. Just get to know your own body. We're not saying, you know, go explore your body, but just know what your body is. Know what your sexual arousal pattern is as girl, boy. So we, we talk about the science of, of desire and love. So get to know. Then the, the thing is, when you get married, don't expect just because you've been good, the moment you put the ring on, like God is going to gift you with the best sex for life. That ain't going to happen. You know, as therapists, we tell people, please take it slow, you know. And again, I talked about the whole body sensuality. Concentrate on that. You know, you have so many parts of your body without making that dive for the pelvis on the wedding night. So get get to know each other, communicate. Communication is the basis of everything. Take your time to get to know your body, then get take your time to get to know each other's bodies. And then through life, keep the spark going by just revisiting the fun things you did. I, I say to young people, when you're in this love phase, you know, it's like you have sex and it's like fireworks over the harbor bridge. Then after a while, you know, you settle into that passional phase when, you know, you, you've got to fan the fire a bit. And it's like this little sizzle backyard barbecue, but it's good. And so don't expect to live with fireworks over the harbor bridge every day of your life. You'll burn out. Enjoy the sizzle of the barbecue in the backyard and keep it fanned. So that's my advice to couples. Love it. It's fantastic. We're going to be back in just a couple of moments time with Patricia Weeracoon, and she's the author of this book, Talking Sex by the Book, How Do We Talk to the Kids? That's where we're going to dedicate our whole third section to that with Patricia in just a moment on 89.9 The Light. In conversation with Clayton. 89.9 The Light, you're in conversation with Clayton. Patricia Weeracoon is my guest. She's a sexologist. We've been hearing as well. Uh, somebody who is a committed Christian. And so this is the study. And it's been fascinating being able to talk to you, Patricia, about uh, aspects of sex and also spirituality and how they mix in different points. You put this book out, Talking Sex by the Book. Now, there's been a whole lot of books out about, hey, how do you talk to kids about sex and all those sorts of things? But from your perspective, I'm really fascinated about it. Um, as you sort of went and, and wrote this book, what was the premise that you were wanting to work from as you, you talked to parents? The premise, actually, let me just spend a minute saying how it came about. Yeah. When I was, I was an academic with the University of Sydney. I was the director of a graduate program in sexual health. And when I retired, and that was eight years ago at the age of 65, which I'm 74 now. And when I retired, I thought I was going to do retirement things, you know, like travel and do my knitting and whatever. But God had completely different ideas. So anyone out there about to retire, be careful what you pray for. Like <laughs> I prayed and said, God, use me. And boy, oh boy, he really took that seriously. So I was approached and someone said, why don't you write something for kids? So we wrote a book called Teen Sex by the Book, which was for teenagers and just research-based since we are now in the third edition because the research 
changes so much, especially in the area of gender. And so we wrote that. And then people came to me and said, what about teenagers, the preteens, the 10 to 14s? So we wrote a book called Growing Up by the Book for 10 to 14s. Then they came to me and said, well, what about primary school? <laughs> so we wrote a whole series and that's like six little books that individually they come with that can be used individually like that's one me and my body and so we wrote that me and my body me and my brain and then me and my family and then extension books learning about sex sexuality learning about porn learning about gender this is for primary school and I thought right done and dusted and then my publisher said people were coming to them and saying give us a book on how we use these as parents how do we give us the skills of parenting in sex education especially from a christian point of view and so that is what Talking Sex by the Book. I know it's corny, but we were trying to hold that by the book theme. So Talking Sex by the Book, as in by the Bible, God's Word. Yeah. So that's how it came about, to give parents and grandparents and carers the ability to actually speak into the children's world at an age-appropriate way. Yeah. Uh, Patricia, you know, we some may hear that phrase, you know, talking sex by the book and go, oh, by, by the book, by the Bible. It's a whole list of don'ts. And, 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 and no. Now, anyone who's listened to you over the past, you know, 25 minutes or so knows that's exactly not, not what it's about. So um, what are some of the keys? You know, obviously the book's there. We're not going to cover the whole book. That's why you've written a book for people to go and uh, read that and, and do it. But Maybe, you know, two or three keys that we can talk about now that you can share with us and parents to start thinking about and talking together as they talk with their kids. The first thing to remember is that parenting is presence. Your presence is far more important even than what you say. So be there for your children. That's the first thing. The second thing is that, you know, there is never too early and it's never too late. So start early, start early and talk often. Drip feed sexual information and role model intimacy and good relationships. So that's the kind of overarching principles that we talk about. Now, within that, we talk about three really important issues and we've touched on these already. And each of these we deal with in under fives, five to 10, 10 to 14, over 15. But the three important issues. The first one is that we need our children, especially today, to understand the value and the dignity of the body. The body is, you are more than a body, but you are a body and your body is really got a special value just the way it is. And this is particularly important, one, for younger children, because 
of all the, you know, the, the social media thing of influencers and body comparison. So that's important. But as you go into puberty, to understand that puberty is something wonderful that's happening to your body. Because unfortunately, that at that age, kids are going into social media, into chat rooms, and they're getting shifted into, you know, forums where body discomfort, body angst becomes an entry into the whole gender, transgender. So we need to be proactive in giving a strong value to the body. I mean, I can go on about it created in the image of God for you Christians, you know, given a value by being created in the image, given a dignity as sons and daughters of God, you know, Christ died, we can go on forever. But, you know, that's important, the body. The second really important thing for parents and grandparents and carers is that children's brains are very sensitive to what's going in because the brain is developing very rapidly. So we have a whole section on how to, what are you feeding children's brain and being aware of what your kids are feeding their brain. So social media, awareness, awareness of the apps that are on their phone, what YouTubes, what influencers they're following, you know, what forums are there in. You can put all the outside you know, blocks, but you need that what I call the internal filter for your children. And in that area of brain food, we talk about pornography. And this for any parent listening, you need to be talking about pornography, even look actually when they go to primary school, because if you don't, someone out there is going to show your child something which is going to really traumatize them. So I say even at primary school, very simple. When I talk to primary schoolers or year sevens, I say, look, if somebody shows you something or people doing something or which makes you feel like wriggly and wiggly because your body responds to it, then say no. This is not good. Run away. Go away because natural curiosity, you want to watch. Say no, run away and always talk to someone because you need to debrief those Mm. images from being fixed in your brain. So the body, the brain, and thirdly, the whole sex thing. So we talk about desire, where you, how are you teaching your children that desire is a God-given gift. You could only read Song of Songs. In the Song of Songs, chapter 8, it says, love is as strong as death. It's jealousy unyielding as a grave. It burns like a blazing fire. So we need to teach our children that fire is good. It's God-given, this love and desire. But you light your fire in the wrong place. Having sex early, using your body as a commodity, watching pornography, it's like lighting a bushfire. It's destructive. So we need to talk about desire, about falling in love, about love and desire being an emotion. And but we can we know that we can choose our behavior. Unfortunately, in a culture we live in that says if you desire something, then finding fulfillment of your desires is the only way you can be happy. So we need to teach our children a countercultural language of happiness and good sex and dating. And you know the whole thing about consent now. And we're saying about consent, but 
you know, I teach young people. I say, you know what? Let's look, let's take a step back. If you honor your body, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, you know, your body is the home of the Holy Spirit. Your body belongs to Jesus. Honor God with your body. You honor and respect your body. You honor and respect the other person's body. Consent won't even be an issue. Because if you honor and respect, then you will naturally care so much for that person that consent becomes just a natural thing. Even when you're married, the other focused loving and caring is what we want to teach our children when it comes to sex, but when it comes to life, really. So I challenge, I challenge parents to challenge their children in a culture to be countercultural. I was speaking in a school just last week and I told the high schoolers, I challenge you, be out and proud for Jesus. Be countercultural. Let people look at your life and the choices you make, your dating patterns, your social media use, the fact that you don't send sex and pictures to anyone on social media and let them think what makes them different. Yeah. Be yeah. different, be countercultural. Oh, what a challenge for uh, a whole host of us, not only as parents, but also as we are growing as well too. Uh, Patricia, thank you for the challenge for, uh, for all of us to say, look, first thing we need to do is actually be open to having these conversations. Uh, and hopefully that's something that we've allowed to have happen today. We wish you all the best with this book, Talking Sex by the Book. We thank you for taking the time with us today as well. Thank you very much. It's been an honour to be with you. Patricia, we recoon my guest here on 89.9 The Line.